0: Hello, you're listening to Copy Time, a podcast series on markets and economies from DBS Group Research. I'm Taimur Rubek, Chief Economist, welcoming you to our 75th episode, which is also our diamond anniversary. To commemorate that event, we have with us a very special guest. Tan Sushan is the Group Head of Institutional Banking at DBS Bank. Prior to leading the IBG business, Sushan was responsible for leading DBS's consumer banking and wealth management business for close to a decade. From 2012 to 2014, she served as nominated member of the Parliament of Singapore. Before DBS, she was Morgan Stanley's Head of Private Wealth Management for Southeast Asia. She has also worked at Citibank and prior to that at ING Bearings in London, Tokyo and Hong Kong. Tan Sushan, welcome to Kopi Time.
1: Thank you, Taymor. In fact, you know, when I looked at my kopi this morning, I thought, oh, I should be having Tay Tariq with Taymor <laughs> as a play on your name. But thank you for the kopi. And I'm looking forward to our copy chat.
0: A pleasure, indeed. Um, Sushant, uh, front and center in the headlines these days is the crisis in Ukraine. It ought to be a bit esoteric for us. We are a South Asian bank tens of thousands of miles away from the epicenter of the crisis. But it still seems to me that DBS has been busy around the crisis the last couple of months. Tell us why and how.
1: Well, I think you've got to look at it both from a big macro picture and how the world order is changing, has changed uh, with this war, and then you have to look at it from a sort of bottom-up regional perspective, um, and then even more bottom-up on a sort of industry sectoral perspective. Uh, when the war happened, you know, it did catch a lot of people by surprise, and we immediately huddled together and we said, look, three areas of stress that we have to look out for. The first is, which ones of our clients have direct assets in Ukraine, Russia, What's the right down there? What's going to be hit? Then the, the second is supply chains, right? With war comes supply chain issues. Ukraine is the breadbasket of the world. Russia exports a lot of diesel energy to the world. Um, how would the stoppage of that affect us? How would the ports, you know, Mariupol, Odessa, all these ports were great import export channels between Eastern Europe, West, and Asia. Well, how would that affect the world and, and our clients? And then the subsequent sort of massive inflation that we're now seeing, how does that affect costs for SMEs? You know, how, how would that translate to higher interest rates, higher costs, structural inflation, cyclical inflation and the survival of, of our SMEs? So there are many folds and as you unpeel these different folds, you realise that, you know, everyone is impacted to some degree it's just a matter of how much um, and so with the direct hit we looked at our assets you know clients with assets be it planes stuck in airports in Russia um, you know sanctioned first degree sanctioned assets uh, which we we, we we didn't have thankfully um, but also um, um, you know companies that had bought you know oil assets uh, in, in, in Russia or Ukraine or, 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 or Kazakhstan or around the area um, and and um, You know, what was the write-down? What was the NAV write-down there? And we had to stress test that. Um, And uh, most came out okay. We didn't have that many, but most came out okay from a liquidity standpoint. Uh, It was the supply chain issues that that, that I think people suffered for because suddenly, you know, goods weren't moving um, or if they were, they were massively inflated in pricing. um, And so food... um, Uh, uh, inflation, oil inflation, and then the kind of downstream social revolutionary impact that it could have. Um, You know, uh, some clients of us said, you know, if if you have the cost of food go up to more than 50% of net household income in certain emerging markets, that's the tipping point of social revolution. Then what? Right. What is the implication of that? You know, change in governments or massive social strife? You're seeing it now in the world. The geopolitics is, is sort of you know, getting hotter and, and, and more dynamic and, 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 and a lot more polarised. Society is polarised today, right? And, and what's the impact of that? And then obviously closer to home, our SMEs you know, in, in, in the region, coupled with this COVID, zero COVID lockdown that we're having now in China, you know, much closer to home. Um, we're seeing different kinds of stresses. Um, with Ukraine, it was supply-side stresses, stresses. With COVID, it's demand destruction. So you've got supply issues now, demand issues before, and also demand issues now in China with the COVID lockdown. Susan, staying with
0: Ukraine for a little longer, um, one thing that I was worried about, that since we saw these big spikes in energy, that whenever you have very large volatility in the asset prices, um, trading firms, uh, investment houses could be subject to margin calls and that could lead to some degree of stress on the bank balance sheet. How did DBS deal with that?
1: Well, I tell you, we, we realise, you know, what normally takes years to happen can now take place in literally hours. You know, when we saw what happened to nickel um, on the LME and in the end they had to suspend the market for, for several days, the massive volatilities, you know, without the circuit breaker... That could kill you. Absolutely. You know, you, you could be dealing with the world's largest nickel supplier, but if they're just in a normal market, they would, be sh- they would be hedging 20%, 30%. That's normal. But when you suddenly have your mark-to-market swing up by several thousand percent, if you don't have the liquidity or you can't produce it fast enough, you can't supply it fast enough, that lack of liquidity, that basis risk could kill you, Right. And then it's also kind of measuring the functionality between the listed market and the OTC market. Post um, 2008, You know, with the financial crisis, everybody wanted to pivot to the listed, transparent market. But it seems now that some of our, our traders, our commodity traders, oil traders, nickel traders, metals traders are saying, I would rather trade OTC with a trusted counterparty than be subject to the massive wild swings on the listed market, right? Uh, and then we realized in the listed market, sometimes you have real buyers and sellers. Sometimes you have hedge funds who are trying their luck, creating a short squeeze. Who who knows? But the fact is, we had wild swings in the listed market. You had counterparty risks on the OTC market. And, 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 and two sides still had to dovetail. And we had to deal with it constantly. So constant mark-to-market, constant interaction between the exchange, our traders, us. And I also realized that the best way to get information on these things is to talk to the clients who are in it. I actually don't think the market players are, are, are that up to date with the supply-demand dynamics, with the who and the what and the how. But if you talk to the real end users and buyers and you talk to their competitors and you really have that in-depth conversation, take them out and, and find out who's buying, who's, who, who's selling, what's going on, that's where you get the real insights. Now,
0: unlike, say, 2008, when the market gapped and we saw large scale failures. Um, We really didn't see anything. There was a lot of fear for a couple of weeks that we might see some failures, but we didn't. And the reason for that is liquidity is ample or the banks are more proactive?
1: I think, Taymor, we've all been so stress tested by lack of liquidity, right? After 08, after 97 in the Asian crisis and 08, 09 with the global financial crisis, everyone's been prepared to shore up liquidity when you suddenly need it. So RCS were called, you know, rates did go up in the short term, as you know, Um, but people were prepared from a liquidity point of view. They were less prepared from a massive market volatility point of view, because as we said, you know, those volatility was unprecedented. By the way, I haven't heard the word unprecedented used as much as I have in the last 12 months, right? But we have had unprecedented volatility in everything from prices to interest rates to market swings, you name it, we've had it. Um, And so we are living in a VUCA world, right? You know, and a volatile, uncertain world. And and, and, and we're getting used to, in a way, stress testing and then becoming kind of agile and being able to pivot quickly. Well, the
0: stress test that was even bigger than this was two years ago, yes. uh, exactly two years ago, yes. in fact, the, the COVID crisis. Yep. So take us back to March, April of 2020, oh, Sushant. How God. did you deal with that?
1: Well, I, I tell you, we didn't know what we didn't know at the time. We didn't know how long it was going to last. It was kind of scary. And so we said, look, we had to create a frame. Right? Uh, and uh, uh, um, I learned this from, from a friend of mine uh, who, who, who runs a, a logistics company, and he calls it OODA, O O D A, which is observe, orient, decide, and act. Right? And, if, and, and the people who can do this OODA quite quickly in a high velocity way in different circumstances will come out stronger and will win. Um, and so for us, it was what's going on? Okay. Is this unknown disease that's going to cause a lot of demand destruction. Who is going to be hit by this massive demand destruction? Obviously, aviation, hospitality, tourism, you know, food and beverage, uh, possibly logistics. So we had this bucket of direct demand destruction hits. What does it do to your top line? What does it do to your bottom line? How long can they survive? What do they need? This was financially super-stressed industries, right? So we... This is our bucket one, and figured out how do we help these clients through. We had to decide who we had to help, how we're going to help, and how long for right we didn't know and the second bucket was okay these are going to be financially stressed Uh, not direct but there will be financial stress and how long do we help them you know do we have principal moratorium uh you know lower rates i mean rates were already very low to be honest at the time but how do we stretch out their principal repayments for example and then the third was sort of um uh, uh, the SMEs and, and the ones that had to pivot, you know, we realized that at the time, honestly, a lot of SMEs were not as digitally savvy as they are now today. But that sort of digital acceleration happened overnight, right? With COVID, you had no choice. You were not selling online, you had to sell online. And we had to figure out, okay, all our SMEs were not online. How do you help them digitize their offerings? How do you help them digitize their menus? How do you get logistic services? So we kind of put the digital SME in a box service, right? Give them the loans, give them the the, the, the low, um, you know, give them the ESG, we call them the, the, the you know, the government support loans, ESG loans, low interest rates, you know, very little pay down in initially, give them the digital package, find them the logistics suppliers, etc. kind of digital, digital financial help in a box, right? And overnight we gave some 14,000 SMEs this help, um, the financial package, some digital packaging, um, and training, you know, really quick overnight, you had to learn to be UX design friendly. You had to learn how to 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 price offerings online, etc. So digital end to end. And we also, because of COVID, digitized our trade offering trade, the most physical, analog business into into intercountry trade. Um, and overnight, because of COVID, we had to digitize our offering. We came up with DigiDocs for 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 trade, digital OAT. For open account trade, you know, biometrics, digital end-to-end for trade, that you know, in a way, really saved our, saved our clients, and and so this digital acceleration, the financial package that we came up with. Um, and, and the different stress tests we had with the, you know, big stress industries—the the, the ones that were suffering from demand destruction, and the ones that had to digitize their offering or pivot their offering—all um, you know, hands on deck. And uh, and to to cope with it, everyone working from home, right? Um,
0: so, at that point, at least through twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, the banks were also finding an environment which was heavily supported by the government. Yes. So whether it's in Singapore or the US or elsewhere, uh, some of these loan moratorium, the cash transfer to the population certainly helped Absolutely. surface with yep. the pandemic. Yes. Now we're in 2022 yep. and a lot of these measures are expiring. Yep. Do you feel confident that the credit risks that were sort of underwritten by government intervention can still be okay?
1: Well... Obviously, we have to do our stress test based on what's happening with Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And uh, where I think the worry spot is, Tamor, is the structural inflation upon us. And whether it's utility bills, manpower bills, uh, commodity bills, all your bills have gone up, interest rates. Um, and that's not trivial. And if you're an SME already on wafer-thin margins, this could tip you over. And And so this is where... We need to figure out when when all this help goes, you know, the job support schemes, the financial schemes, when all this support goes, uh, are SMEs still robust enough to survive and thrive, right? And if they're not, how do we help them pivot? The The good thing is, you know, I do think a lot of them pivoted during COVID. Right. They realised that business as usual wasn't going to cut it. Um, and so old business models that were outdated have pivoted. Um, the way you pay and receive, you know, everyone now using their mobile phones, mobile devices, uh, real inter-time, real-time, you know, interbank rails, etc. I think that pivot has already happened in most countries in, in, in our markets uh, and will continue to accelerate. Um, and coupled with that, also this constant view on... Well, think we'll go to that in a minute but this constant pivot to more sustainable solutions more sustainable products and services i think that also will not change right so digitalization sustainability these two mega trends will not change um and and i think smes now know that they have to pivot from the old ways of doing business and if their old businesses were kind of marginal at best then you know you're gonna have to change your business model right now um
0: The SMEs have been forced to pivot. Uh, How profoundly has the banking system, I just don't mean DBS, but overall the banking system and finance has pivoted in the last two years?
1: Well, I think the realization that, you know, you had to digitize everything end to end, whether it's using the current, you know, real-time payment rails, And and also cross border, you know. Now, now with uh, what we're doing with Patio, which is our blockchain-based cross-border real-time digital payments platform um, for for, well for for payments for payments for for cross currency payments, but. But cross border trade as well, right? When when you, you know, in the past it was still very paper based. I'm, I'm afraid we're still quite paper based in the world, but there are corridors that are becoming a lot more digital. Um, I think you know, big companies realize that we have to work together. No one big company can do this on their own, and countries and, and industries and governments have to work together to help enable this digitalization of trade. The use of blockchain as a source of verification, as a source of obligation, as a source, as, as a proof. Of transaction obligation, verification, identity, etc. The the digital tools are here to solve a lot of problems. But we can't do this singularly. Everybody has to get in to to create this ecosystem of digital use, this ecosystem where you have trusted source of data, um, there's no fraud, right? And 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 that we're all here to make the digital end-to-end work for everyone. it's, it's been happening. I think what COVID did was it accelerated to need for this to happen. I think banks around the world uh, uh, embrace this digital uh, payments and offerings and trade. Uh, Singapore came up with SG Trade Act, which is also our way of engaging uh, all the ecosystem partners in trade, be it overseas, governments, um, 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 big traders, etc., cetera, uh, to help us to, 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 to get governments to recognize that digital e-docs uh, was the way forward. And, and it, you know, it's far too archaic to be using paper, papers prone to fraud. Let's move everything to digital usage. Let's use the blockchain when we can. Um, and so this this movement has started and, and I don't think we're going back. This movement has started and accelerated by COVID. It's not moving back anytime. Um, and, um, and as I said, I, I also think that the realization that, you know, I mean, we had clean air when nobody was flying. We had, uh, you know, a period of of, of, of uh, uh, lower pollution, et cetera. People realized, Gosh, we do need to, uh, you know, we do need to, to embrace sustainability. I mean, COP twenty six was a big uh, rallying cry. Now with the next COP, etc. I think companies, governments all realise there's no turning back on sustainability as well, and that's uh, a, a journey to embrace.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I want to go deeper into that momentarily. But Sushan, I just want to stay with the digital theme a little longer. So you went through several. Digital transformation initiatives that uh, the banking system has been in part of, especially DBS. Which one excites you the most?
1: Gosh, wow! I, I mean, from our days of starting our first digital bank, Digibank in India, which was no humans, no branch, no paper. That was the that open your account in ninety seconds. Um, you know, I think we all know banks know that you know. FinTechs are there to take our lunch, right? Whether it's Grab or Ant or all these guys make fantastic customer experience for our customers in, in, in certain parts of banking, be it payments or loans, microloans, or, or or being embedded in, in our customer journey, whether it's everyday journey, episodic journey, SME journey, whatever. And I think the realisation was, you know, in order to win in the digital game, you have to embed yourself through truly, deeply into the customer journey. Um, and, and that's what we did. And, and I think that's what excites me. It's that kind of the complete change in our mindset now as a bank. You know, in the past, it was all about products, campaigns, sell, cross-sell, right? Now it's customer journey, what do they want? What do they see? Journey focus, digital UX, the 4Ds, right? You know, you discover and then you, you you define, you discover, you develop, and you deliver. That's kind of now melted into our culture. That's what excites me. The fact that we're not no talking about, we're not talking about selling stuff, we're talking about cross-buy, right? Customers knowing knowing what customers need before they even know it, and having the product there at the right time, the right place, and the right price. That's what excites me.
0: Okay, you've been part of the digital transformation process both in the consumer banking side as well as the institutional banking side. Which one is more challenging?
1: Oh, by far the institutional side. And I'll tell you why. I mean, with the, with the consumer side, it's one client. It's, you know, one identity. And the products are more or less, you know, uniform, right? But with the corporate client, it's multiple segments from very large courts with many, many different, you know, economic groups. You've got subsidiaries, you know. Uh, fully owned subsidiaries, you know, associate companies. You know, one client can have a thousand different accounts with different a thousand different signing families, right? With a thousand different LPOAs. So, how do you design for that? Together with the complexity of inter-country trades, you know, RCFs, blah blah blah, undrawn, drawn, committed term loans, trade lines, <laughs> documentary trade, then PC you know, limits where you're trading with uh, with 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 uh, financial products, mark to market losses, etc. So. Fairly, fairly complex on the large corps, and that each industry has different needs. To SMEs, where it's a little bit more uniform, but even then, you know, different industries in the SMEs are part of different ecosystems. So you need to plan for that ecosystem. The building and contractors are in one ecosystem. Um, The food and agri are in a different ecosystem. The textile companies are different ecosystems. Healthcare companies different ecosystems. How do you design and plan for these different ecosystems from big caps to SME? That's pretty complex.
0: And then, how do you then on a day-to-day basis? sort of run your business if you have to deal with so many different buckets?
1: OODA. <laughs> so you, or, you know, you, you observe and you orient and the orientation part is important. So for me, um, it's finding the best people to make the right decisions and to act, right? So the uda. so you, we have to observe. We all observe collectively what's going on in the markets. And then when, but the orientation is, okay, this crisis needs help. I need people who know about geopolitics. I need you know, we've pulled you in so many times to some of our huddles, but you know we need to pull in people with subject matter expertise, right? Geopolitics, supply chain, industry knowledge, country knowledge, credit knowledge, whatever. Pull the people in, have it all out, right? All of us kind of battle in a room, in a little war room, and battle in a huddle and go, this could happen, this could happen. What's the stress test? Fifty percent, hundred percent, eighty percent, whatever it is, and then reach a decision and then act. Right? And, and, and that's important so I can't do it all myself no way but I surround myself with people whom I think bring a lot of diverse expertise on the table are not shy to, to say it as it is uh, build the trust between our teams build open communication between our teams um, and enable kind of the bad stuff the hard stuff to come up and discuss robustly and then depend on everyone to work as a team to execute I want to stay on that for
0: a moment. Maybe this is more of an HR question, but when you talk about uh, debate things out and look at the views, how much often important do you assign to sort of diversity of opinions and diversity of personalities yeah. when these sort of challenging situations are being handled?
1: So, you know, that's not easy, but it's making it okay to surround yourself, all of us, to have people around us that don't think like us, mm-hmm and have a different perspective of the world from us. I think a lot of maybe more traditional all-boys networks don't like that. They, they like to have kind of groupthink, right? <laughs> you see them in some governments, uh, you see them in some old-style businesses where there's groupthink, you know, and there's trust. Of course there's trust because you're all alike. The difficulty you have, we have today, is how do you build trust? in an organization that's so unlike, right? You and I think differently. These people all think differently from me. They look different from me. They see things differently from me. How do you build that trust quite quickly, right? And break some of the unconscious biases that we have. That's the tough part. And that's when I think that, you know, thanks to our HR colleagues who have come in and done that sort of breaking down of barriers and unconscious bias, the tea sprints that we've had. I mean, our tea sprints have been robust. They've been filled with tears. They've been filled with laughter. But we throw out all the hard stuff and put it on the table and have it all out. And, and when you can do that and you reach a common understanding, ah, now I get it. Now I get it. Why, why, now I get why you're so different from me. Now I get why you see the world's so different from me. Kind of knowing your history, knowing each other's histories, knowing each other's proclivities and being able to say, I, I accept that of you And I know that, you know, when you get angry or when you're happy and what are your triggers, then having that mutual understanding of each person's personalities, proclivities and potentially biases, and then bringing it all out, being honest with each other, being really blatantly (laughs) honest with each other, having those uncomfortable conversations up front, breaking the borders and the barriers, that's when the magic happens. And that's when crisis hits, Hands on deck, come on guys, bring it up. You know, how do we solve for this? And and that's, I I think that's the kind of cultural uh, defining moments that, that we've had now. And um, we've had at at, at Piyush, our CEO's level, at, at at the board level, with, with our chairman and the board. Uh, we've had that at 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 the EXCO, at, at, at the, at the management committee. We're having that now at my MC level, at hopefully my you know, the my one and two downs, and, and we want that to trickle down. It, it hasn't fully trickled down, to be honest, Tamo, mm-hmm. because we've been so busy right, managing crisis after another, managing COVID, managing war, etc. But my hope is that it can transcend, um, because don't forget, we are also doing massive transformation, massive change management at a time of, 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 of stress. And that can't be easy. And, and throwing COVID and, and working from home, it, it, it's not easy.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so there are ways to have challenging conversations internally and at the board level. How about externally? You have a wide spectrum of clients, and I'm approaching this from the climate change angle.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, some are looking at climate change mitigation seriously, some are not. Uh, what kind of conversations are you having with your clients on this?
1: So, you know, the first generation or the older generation of client business owners um, are now seeing that their second generation are intolerant of what the first generation have, 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 has, have done. Um, and so the next generation of business leaders are, are helping us with this cause, right? Which, which, is, which is great. And the other is we tell our clients, look, we're not here to, to, to tell you not to do business. We are here to help you to transit from what is a brown business to a light brown business to a light green, olivey color. Then you can go to dark green, right? We acknowledge it's a journey. And that's why we have something called the transition framework. We know it's a journey, but guess what? We'll walk this journey with you. We will help you with the financing. We'll Heck, we'll even help you to measure, track, and trace one of your emissions. We will show you the glide path, and we will help you along this glide path with the right financing tools, the right structural advice, um, and the best practices of your industry. So having that sort of conversation up front, knowing that we know, telling the customer, no, 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 it's not that we're not going to you know, lend to you. Well, of course, for, for some assets like coal and all that, thermal we don't, but we, we don't land. But, you know, as we guide our clients through this path, they know that we know it's a journey. And, and I think that's a differentiator. They know that we know that, you know, it will take time. It will take some investments, but we're willing to walk this journey with them. We're willing to finance these investments because they make sense for your ultimate survival ship. If your clients ain't going to buy stuff that's brown, you ain't going to sell. You don't sell, you don't get liquidity. You don't get liquidity, you don't get paid. You don't get paid, I also don't get paid. <laughs> so we're in this together. So I think it's, it's, it's walking that transition journey. It's helping them to identify their glide path and, 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 and offering solu- solutions along the way.
0: What kind of expertise have you built within the institutional banking group to help clients along this journey?
1: So we've um, identified the top nine industries um, together with a third party consultant. My industry heads, country heads, segment heads are all heavily embedded in the industry best practice how do you track? What are the measurements of tracking? Tracking and tracing and measuring is the first thing you need yes. to do. How much, you know, uh, per, per dollar, per, per million dollars of revenue are you admitting? How much per kilowatt hour, whatever. Whatever the measurement is in your industry, we are now helping you, right? Because this is part of our whole scope three measurements. So once we start to track and measure then we can start having this conversation. Okay, look, Mr. Klein, you know, by 2025, where do you think you could be? And by 2030, where do you think you want to be? Um, and what's acceptable? What kind of costs, what kind of investments do we need to do? We need to, as a shipping company, do we need to invest in more scrubbers? Do we need to, uh, or, or in fuel, do we need to pivot to different kind of fuel? Uh, what about investing in hydrogen? What about, you know reducing our utility bills? What about, you know, greening your buildings? Whatever it is, the conversations have already started in earnest. A lot of our companies are walking this journey with us. So we've been pleasantly surprised by the fact that most companies, most boards, all boards, I I hope, recognize that this imperative is here. It's here to stay. You can't ignore it because if you do, your stakeholders will not accept this.
0: Sushant, what about the intersection of climate mitigation-related work and digital? Um, is there, like, scope for those two things to meet?
1: Absolutely. I'm excited about that, Taymor, because I think that's putting, I hope, two of DBS's expertise Hmm. on the table and melding them together to create a holistic solution, right? I I think there is. I mean, first of all, digitizing um, um, your journey end-to-end means you're taking out a lot of operational slack, administrative slack and paper, Right? And it's also, if you use the blockchain, you can track and trace the provenance of your trade supply chain. That's exciting for us, right? You know, being able to track and trace whether it's, you know, carbon credits, your supply chain of, 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 of goods, textiles, etc. There are a lot of exciting platforms, you know, uh, uh, that we're working with that can help us also to do this. We can't do everything ourselves, but finding the right ecosystem partners that can help us along the way for each industry. That's what's exciting. And then, you know, when you have the data, you're tracking, <laughs> you know what you need to do, that's the, that's, 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 that's the, that's the foundation of, of, of what we're going to build our sustainability solutions on, You know, being able to track what you do, track your admissions, figure out, set a target, and, and use digital solutions to help you to get that. That's what's exciting.
0: Absolutely. I also think about the CIX, the Climate yeah. Impact Exchange, where hopefully there will be this meeting of the minds that there'll be NFTs or tokens that will capture carbon credit and that can be traded there. there. you go.
1: You know, you've got NFTs with carbon credits today. We have a carbon exchange that we're, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're excited to start business on. We're starting to finance uh, carbon credits as well, New Zealand carbon credits, et so it's So it's, it's all happening now. Um, And and it's exciting and and it's happening fast and and both, you know, banks and and customers are embracing this.
0: Absolutely. So there are banks, there are customers, there are also what we call stakeholders in general. So in the West, there's a lot of talk about this stakeholder accountability. Uh, Sitting here in Asia, are we beginning to see that take place as well?
1: I think we are. I, I think governments are helping um, it's heartening to see many governments are no longer just paying lip service to it. I mean, here in Singapore, for example, the green bond uh, project that, that's been announced, many uh, many green initiatives from the MAS, you know, Green Prints, etc. I, I think it's no longer a lip service. It's 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 now how and what, right? What shall we do? Shall we issue more infrastructure, green bonds? We invest, we invest, we're putting real money in to build real green infrastructure, whether it's charging stations for EVs, you know... Better, better infrastructure for countries that need it. Pivoting to hydrogen, there's massive amount of hydrogen investments now in emerging in, in some emerging markets um, that are exciting, including uh, India, for example. Um, there's a lot of investments in wind farms in Taiwan, etc. So I think there's a lot of real money now going into these programs, um, and real energy and real support going into these programs, and 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 um, and and that will that will i guess spur and incentivize a lot more trickle down from 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 you know big caps to mid caps to small caps
0: and when we talk about climate change related opportunities for banks of course in singapore we are seeing you know, as you rightly said that whether it's the government's nudges or more aware corporates. You know, we're seeing a lot of movement in the right direction. But DBS is not just in Singapore. In our regional core markets, uh, do you see fairly decent momentum?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, we see a lot of momentum in India. I talked about, you know, the the various... uh Um, renewable companies that that are springing out of traditional companies are pivoting. Um, You know, we see uh, in China a lot of focus. I mean, China has embraced the sustainability journey head head on. Um, And a lot of our, whether it's solar panels or, uh, 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 you know, agriculture, etc., there's a lot of um, investments now happening, China, India, Indonesia too. Indonesia is so rich in mangrove peat. Um, The government, for a start, is trying to monetize it. Uh, you know, palm oil producers are all em- well, mostly embracing this journey um, and being compliant to 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 what the industry benchmarks are. Um, so, I think our biggest markets around here, including Vietnam. Uh, so, it's not just a Western story, Taimor. It's definitely an Asian story, and it's 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 here. It's germane. It's it's happening.
0: Oh, it's absolutely germane. I'm pretty sure that in our lifetime, we will see negative impact on climate change really affect our personal lives unless we get serious about it. And without green financing and the banks being in the middle, I really don't see how that can happen. So it's absolutely a worthy uh, juncture. Um, Sushan, at the very beginning of our conversation, you talked about inflation-related issues. So, you know, we had COVID inflation, as you said, demand destruction, but at the same time, supply chain got disrupted and certain product prices, uh, demand went through and therefore the prices rose uh, auto uh, use autos, for example. Now we have conflict inflation yes. with this conflict and so on. So, your sense of the macro environment and and how does a bank sort of stay on the safe side through this volatility of prices and interest rates?
1: So, Uda in a VUCA world. <laughs> so, I, I, I think a lot of this is being on top of what's going on, you know. I mean, thanks to our mobile phones and constant 24-7 news, most people are today. Um, and being able to have those open, honest conversations with clients, especially big clients, 24-7. I think that's important. So that's how we're, you know, it's it's kind of divide and conquer, right? Industries, countries, divide and conquer. But this, the, the central kind of regional hub, if you will, is here to support to, to give all kinds of support that you need from digitalization, sustainability, you know, stress testing, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we're here to give support but if you're in country, you're the industry head, work together, knock heads together, get what's going on, find the bad stuff, surface the bad stuff early, create solutions, you know, and if it's too late to create solutions, then have those tough conversations, get some help from, from the restructuring team, restructure early, <laughs> If you can restructure early, provide liquidity situations early and and work with other banks, there is a good, you know, if if the company is actually structurally sound, there is a chance of resurgence. We've done some very good restructuring work uh, uh, in the last two years where we've helped companies kind of go through the stress together and come out stronger, better, and fundamentally stronger. Um, and and that speaks to the DBS kind of long-term relationship ethos, right? We're we're not there for the good times only. We're there for the bad times, and we've gone through a few bad times in the last three years, and we've been there for them, right? And we've been there early, Uh, and we've been honest with our clients, and and we hope that our clients are honest with us and and surface the the tough issues early.
0: Ten-year rates, well over 2%, perhaps even going toward 3% at some point this year or next. Does that create serious headwind for the property sector?
1: Well, I think the property sector has suffered less from rates and more from structural policy, you know, dictates from their governments. You know, it could be, you know, China with the three red lines, Singapore with the TDSR or the various, you know, ABSD taxes that are sticky. I think no government wants to see rampant asset price inflation from property speculation or bubbles forming because it does create social issues where only the rich get richer. Very low interest rates means the rich can borrow more. To then speculate more and then they make more wealth and then you've get, you get this massive bifurcation of the rich get richer and the poor can never afford their property. Actually something that, that I'm very interested in. is it, There were speeches that I made in parliament when I was a member, when I was nominated member of parliament, where I felt that actually low interest rates, if, if not uh, coupled with uh, macroprudential policies, will lead to this exacerbation of the rich and poor precisely because property bubbles get bigger and bigger until they pop, right? And, um, and I think governments have gotten on to, you know, using macroprudential policies to, to, to dampen the, fee, the, the fervor in, in property asset prices. Um, so I think, you know, rising rates are just a mechanism to, to, to reprice the price of money. I think the price of money has been too low for too long. And we're now finally getting to a point where they're no longer too low. They're, they're reflecting real asset prices and real inflation. And that's not wrong. Um, so I actually don't think that, that, that higher interest rates, of course, they're going to hurt. If you are very leveraged, which hopefully by now you're not because of all the macroprudential policies that have been upon you, REITs you know, have a 45% cap on them gearing Uh, you know many 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 um, uh, 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 big cap developers have been pretty pretty conservative with their gearing maybe the building and construction guys but they won't be affected as much by high rates as high prices of labor high prices of commodities supply chain issues that kind of thing i think it's, it's really more of an issue
0: Absolutely spot on. Sushant, just to uh, underscore one point, so your argument that, you know, low interest rates are bad for inequality, I, I heard uh, Nobel laureate Paul Krugman echo that argument just last week where he felt that higher rates are actually a very progressive way of pursuing policy because clearly the gearing is bigger at the higher end of the income spectrum and their interest sensitivity is greater. At the low end, a little bit of interest rate gyration, the kind of credit that they have access to doesn't really change. Uh, so, yeah, uh, point very well taken. Uh, a simpleton would look at the banking sector and should say the bank share prices should rally when interest rates go up because yield curves are steep and names are going to expand. Is that correct?
1: Well, on, on the one hand, it is because, you know, our names are expanding. But on the other hand, with every crisis comes credit, credit issues, right? We, we just saw JP Morgan's uh, numbers a couple of days back, and, and that suggested there were some credit stresses. Um, and, and so we can't be complacent. I mean, we'll take the high rates. Thank you very much. we suffered for low rates for long enough. But now's the time to look at our SME portfolio, look at some of the more badly affected industries and, and really stress test them and make sure that they do survive this inflation, stagflation problem that's upon us.
0: And, uh, overall 22 23 outlook you think is going to be as challenging as the last couple of years
1: i think it's going to be tiring i, I think we're used to the challenges i'm really proud of my team i think uh, we've um, you know assembled a, a, a good team um you know an ibg in an in, in institutional banking group that um has 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 banded together through ups and downs um and I think it's just being agile. You know, people talk about IQ and EQ, but I talk about AQ, the adaptability quotient. It's being agile, it's being able to adapt quickly to different, you know, we'll take whatever the world gives us because we're so used to living in a VUCA world, Uh, but also then working with our customers to help them adapt and help them be flexible, be it rising rates or or, or high commodity prices or whatever policy changes there are. Um, But I do think that, uh, people do recognise the world is, is, is a different place today than it was, say, two, three years ago, very, very different. Um, and there will be new winners and, and, and losers. And it's our job to kind of identify the winners early, which is why we've also started this digital um, economic group, the DEG or the New Economy Group, because we recognise that through these crises, there will emerge new champions, Right. And true to our culture of, you know, lifelong banking and lifelong relationships, we start when you're small. Well, we'll start nursing you when you're a startup and we'll grow with you as you become less of a startup, more of a mid-cap and from a mid-cap to a unicorn or a sunicorn as we call them. We will walk this journey of growth with you. So I am both optimistic, but also, you know, being a bit ambidextrous. I call this ambidextrous, you know, leadership. You're looking at the long term, you know, trying to find new winners and you're looking at the short term to make sure, you know, what's happening now doesn't kill you (laughs) or kill our clients, right? So kind of being ambidextrous and being agile. So it's this kind of pivot, ambidextrous and, and, and agility that I think DBS has in our culture and that's why I think we will prevail. I know we will prevail. Sorry, I don't think. I know we will prevail. I'm confident that with, with, with the strong leadership we have in Piyush, with the strong leadership we have in the, in the Group MC and the Exco, and the people, the, the commitment of our people to what we're doing, the common purpose that drives us, I think that's what's going to keep us ahead.
0: Susan, that's a great note to end on. Thank you so Thank much you. for your time and insight.
1: Thank you. Thank you for my copy. Oh, See you next time.
0: Absolutely. And thanks to our listeners as well. Copy uh, Time was produced by Ken Delridge of Spy Studios. Daisy Sharma and Violet Lee provided additional assistance. All 75 episodes of Copy Time are now available on YouTube, Google, Spotify, and Apple. Uh, thank you very much for your time and insights. And as for, Okay, I'm going to do that part one more time, okay? Uh, Thanks to our listeners too. Copytime Time was produced by Ken Delridge from Spice Studios. Daisy Sharma and Violet Lee provided additional assistance. Copytime Time is for information only and does not represent any trade recommendations. All 75 episodes of Kobe Time are available now on YouTube and all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. As for our research publications, webinars, and live streams, you can find them all by Googling DBS Research Library. Have a great day.